This is Authors in Focus. Hi, I'm James Reed, a fantasy author publishing under JMD Reed. The first volume of my epic 12-book fantasy series, Shadow of the Dragon, is available for purchase. Check out Foundation of Courage. Today, I'm joined by Nathan Tudor. He's the author of The Empire's Lion, The Imperial Adept Book One. How are you doing today, Nathan? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We're just coming off a bit of a heat wave these last couple of days in California, so I was kind of dead to the world for a bit, but now I'm doing better. A heat wave, huh? It's um, it's like 50 where I'm at. Oh, okay. It was like 100 over here. Oh, wow. Where are you in California? Uh, about an hour south of LA. Okay, so you're deep south. Okay, fair enough. I was in um, I was in Sacramento and in february and it was it was like 80 when i was there so that was weird gotcha gotcha yeah california is interesting you get all kinds of weather ranges and temperatures depending on where you're at and when no it's a long state it's like a very tall state so that covers quite a lot of (laughs) like you know longitudes or latitudes or whatever yeah one of those for sure one of those right well, uh, I always like to start off my interviews with a fun, dumb question. So, Nathan, are you a cat person or a dog person? So, I have owned one of those in my life. I had a dog for a while and loved him. But as I've gotten older, I actually think I've moved more to the cat side. I think I vibe with the, I don't know what to call it, but the kind of the aloof personality, even the way that if they aren't aloof, they're kind of these idiots who are desperate for attention, but don't want you to think that they care. I don't know. There's something about that that works the for Japanese me. The Japanese call that sundari. There you go. Yeah. The cats have a sundari personality. All right. All the weebs out there understood what I just said, and everyone else is like, what? <laughs> That's okay. Giving Anyways. them the cultural education today. <laughs> That's right. So... Uh, how long have you wanted to be an author? I've wanted to be an author since I was maybe around seven. So I can still remember I was playing a Game Boy game. which was a Fire Emblem game. And I remember one day I took out this piece of paper and I wrote up like a really short, barely even a story, but, you know, kind of a short story. And I drew a little picture at the bottom and... It was my imagining of, you know, these characters in a situation that I thought would have been cool. And kind of ever since then, I had this itch of saying, you know, I want to tell stories. I used to always tell my friends in elementary school, hey, you know, I'm working on a book. Uh, It wasn't really a book. It was more like, hey, uh, I've got like a paragraph here of like Pokemon fan fiction or something. Is just like, oh, we saw this cool thing, and then we did this cool thing. You know, no no stakes, no character development, just, you know, a kid having fun. But over time, as I read more and experienced more, um, you know, books, movies, video games, storytelling, I just more and more got confident that, hey, you know, I want to be 
sharing these things in my head with the world. And now I'm doing that. Awesome. Well, let's talk about one of those things you're sharing with the world. The Empire's Lion, which is about, um, is it Reva? Reva, yeah. Reva. Okay, so it's about Reva. Uh, she left a slave and she returns a conqueror. Why don't you tell us about Reva and what's her story about and what makes her such a great character to read? For sure. So Reva is from a kingdom called Talanus, which is this desert nation that, even though it's small, has this uh, sort of infamy as being really hard to conquer from any other nation because of how inhospitable the terrain is and how you know ferocious the uh, the local people are. Areva, when she was a child, was sold as a slave to the Lazaran Empire. And the Lazaran Empire is kind of this fantasy stand-in for, you know, the Roman Empire at peak of expansion. And the Roman Empire has the Adept Core, or the, the Lazaran Empire has the Adept Core, which is, they're the only ones in the world who've really figured out how to harness the magic reliably, consistently. And they've put together this elite squad of warriors who are kind of driving their conquest and Reva when she got sent to the Lazaran Empire you know she got picked up by a screening basically and they realized she has a magical aptitude and so she got turned into one of these adepts and what happens at the beginning of the book is she's on her first you know solo mission she's finished her training she's eager to you know start climbing the ranks uh, but she makes a bad call, and now it's all okay. on the line. And she gets one chance, basically. They're like, "All right, you wanna you wanna prove you're still worth something to us? Go conquer Talanus." And so she's going up against uh, the people of her birth, basically. And that's kind of driving the central tension of the book. Gotcha. So she's so badass that she can take on an entire country by herself. <laughs> Not all by herself. She's being attached to um, the legion being sent in to Talonus. So the military structured into, like how the Roman Empire was, you know, a series of legions with, you know, hierarchical command. And the thing about the Adept Corps is, for reasons that aren't known at the beginning, but slowly start to become apparent throughout the book, for some reason, natural-born Lazarans can't develop a magical aptitude. So the Adept Corps is entirely built up of uh, foreign-born soldiers. And so the Lazarans are very careful to keep the Adepts sort of... They don't want to put too many Adepts together in one place on the battlefield, because, you know, they don't want them banding together and getting any funny ideas. That was one of the problems the Romans ran into. They, They started having more and more foreign soldiers in their legions mm-hmm. they're near the end um well before the western half fell so they had a lot of like um you know legions made of foreign soldiers and it didn't work out well for them in the end right yeah i could see why they might be a little sus of that so uh we have reva um do we have an antagonist it's it's kind of interesting so the antagonist for at least most of the book is this figure called the wolf who uh, you find out he has, after Reva, the second most amount of uh, perspective chapters. So he's kind of like an antagonist, but also almost a secondary protagonist in that you're seeing this conflict from both of their sides. And 
But Avi is Avi is his name. And what makes him, you know, the perfect uh, counterpoint to Reva is that he's got this incredibly rare uh, weapon called a Nihilo blade, which is basically an anti-magic weapon. And so Reva's so useful as an adept because, you know, she's got fire magic. She can, you know, toast enemy squads in a blink of an eye. But Avi's got this sword that can vacuum up her fire. Um, if he can cut her with it, then it'll just mess with her soul, so to speak, and basically cripple her from magic for life. No, I get that. That's not a not a good thing. Yeah. And so she's she's having to hunt him, but she's also having to be careful because, you know, he only needs to get lucky once and then she's out of the game for good. Yeah, so it's very much a hunter hunter sort of thing. Yeah, there's a lot of cat and mouse games, a lot of intrigue going on. Uh, both battlefield intrigue and political intrigue back in the empire as you know people try to investigate strange calls that are being made because Reva like how we touched on earlier with you know how the Lazarans are careful about how they place their adepts it's really unusual that Reva who was born in Talonis would be sent to conquer Talonis right because you know if there is a possible tactical blunder it would be you know you don't want to send the person to conquer the one nation that they are most likely to have some sort of sentimental attachment to. But for some reason, Command wants Reva in Talonis, and so there are some mysteries that are being unwoven throughout the, the course of the book. Yeah, I definitely get that. So uh, what was like sort of the inspiration behind the series? Mm, it came from a couple of places. So part of me has always had a desire to write sort of a fantasy Rome story, maybe going back to like early teen years or something like that. I always liked the Roman Empire historically, and uh, I would always get ideas now and then of, you know, how I would do a fantasy Rome, but um, never really came across anything that felt particularly original or cool or clicked for me. And then one day I was thinking, all right, I really want to write, you know, the book that I'm going to, you know, actually put out there into the world that I'm going to publish. What should it be, right? So I'm thinking, and I come up with this seed of an idea, which was the conflict between Reva and Avi. And I think, all right, where should I set that? You know, uh, what kind of world? And, you know, a mixture of having spent a lot of my life, you know, with this, you know, hunch that, oh, someday I'll write a fantasy Rome story. And also that I'd done my uh, college degree in ancient religion and specifically a lot of like Mediterranean and ancient Near Eastern stuff. And so I had some academic grounding in that to where I wouldn't need to start from scratch with research. And so it kind of just fit together well for me. So you said some academic research? Like, um, like how far did you go into this? Uh, just undergrad. I was going to, it's a long story, I won't get into it now. I was going to go to grad school as well. But um, yeah. I I really like reading books, writing papers, and specifically, um, like I mentioned, I was in uh, it was in religion, and so I love reading like ancient mythology and old religious and philosophical texts, and you know, digging up these old ideas that you know, are pretty cool but really foreign to us, you know, growing up in modernity and things, and so I think I get to do some cool world building stuff by adding these you know, this archaic flair in terms of you know how my characters think and view the world yeah yeah it's uh 
something I don't know. Like every generation, people view the world differently. That changes, mm-hmm. and how we view the world is definitely not how others view the world. Uh, they had some interesting philosophies. They had some fatalistic philosophies. Some, <laughs> <laughs> I think you know you have like some like you get into like uh like the Vikings or the Saxons or they're very much like like they they want that like glorious death like they see it as like something to strive for. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, not to be afraid of it. Let's, you know, you know, which is something that's, you know, very different, you know, for modern sensibilities. Like, uh, I think Patton, like, had the very opposite, you know, thing when it's this statement, like, you know, you know, people say, like, I, I, I'm proud to die for my country, but I'd rather make the other guy die for his country. <laughs> right. It's like, I don't really want to die, but I'm, gonna, you know, it's it's a very different mindset from like a from some like old pagan or whatever. So it's great. Yeah, you can sure. uh, introduce that. Yeah, I do that too. And then my, my sometimes my beta readers are like, why do they do things like that? I'm like, yeah, well, because they don't see the world like we do. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I like to do that, especially with like non-human races, try to give them mm-hmm. weird, weird perspectives on things that aren't necessarily our perspectives. You know, different, um, even like sort of emotional reactions and stuff. But yeah, it's fun. That's what's great about like literature. You know, oh yeah, absolutely. Or you can explore different things. Um, cool. So, um, what is your sort of I don't know maybe your favorite uh, like since we're on this topic, what's your famous like Roman writer? Just out of curiosity. Favorite Roman writer? Uh, I mean Virgil. I love the Aeneid probably. So right, go yeah. with him. I've been meaning to reread okay. it as well. Uh, I also got some inspiration for plot lines from uh, Tacitus and his Annals of Imperial Rome. Yeah, I was trying to work out a plot point, and I just was stuck on this knot. And I was like, you know, forget writing for today. I'll try to do some research. And I read like one chapter of Tacitus, and it just hit me in the face. I was like, oh, that's what I need to do. That's what's going to make it all come together. So yeah, no, that's a cool moment. You got to, you got to, you got to like the Aeneid. If I said that right, where you know, like, we're just mm. uh, to make our people better. We're going to steal someone else's mythology and claim <laughs> it as ours. I love that about the ancient world. We're just going to rewrite mythology so um, it's our history now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so interesting, like, to read stuff from like a time not just like pre-plagiarism, but like it, there's a lot of. Uh, ancient cultures and ideas where like plagiarism is almost the highest form of flattery so like if you're stealing from someone that means they had good ideas whereas now it's like you know oh. you gotta cite all your sources real carefully you got to document the whole you know chain of information going down well definitely like in in literature like um i mean when you're an author you're stealing all over the place oh yeah and you're not you're, it's not plagiarism because like plagiarism it really is like you're just verbatim repeating something that's, yeah that's what i would say a modern definition but you're taking ideas and you know uh themes and stuff and you're remixing them all the time um and if you get caught you call it an, an homage yeah we're not in the scholarly world where yeah. you have to cite all your sources and stuff exactly. you're like no no it's it's an homage yeah, I was reading uh, I was reading one book the other day and there was almost a word for word, not word for word, but it was very clearly um, that line from Watchmen that's, uh, you know, it is like, um, I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. 
Yeah. Which is such an iconic line. And yeah, like who among us would not use that line if we didn't see a good opportunity, right? Like it's too good. It is really good. And you might use it on accident, not realizing where it comes from or right. Right. I definitely know, like I'll read something in like, um, in one of my like favorite authors and go like, and I know that idea will like permeate into my book in some way, you know, I'll remix it or something, but yeah. Or uh, maybe I will. I think I had one book where I needed, I wanted my, um, my character was reading like some, I needed my character to read some philosophy on sort of um, like democracy and stuff. And so I just was like rephrasing John Stuart Mill's on Liberty. Oh, nice. Cause I'm like, I've like researched it. I'm like, you know, no one really says this stuff better than like John Stuart Mill's did. Exactly. Right? And so I was like, all right, we'll just, I credited him in my, in my, on my page. I was like, all right, I feel like I'm, I'm too close to plagiarism here. And this is public domain stuff. So I'm just going to like, okay, I'm lifted <laughs> stuff from his book here. Okay. So I'm crediting just FYI because <laughs> I really felt I went too, I didn't change it enough. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I remember um, I was reading one of my favorite books is um, God Gabriel K's Under Heaven, which is like based on Tang Dynasty China. And at the end of the book, he has like a recommended reading list. And I read one of those recommended reading books and I was like laughing as I read it because so much of it was just the plot of the novel, but like the actual historical events that, you know, he didn't one-to-one paste, but really clearly took strong inspiration from. And I was like, hey, that's a way to do it. Just say, you know, are you more interested in this sort of thing? Here's how it actually happened. I mean, sometimes history is so strange that it's they're like, oh, yeah. and if I wrote this in a book, no one would, like, people would say it was, like, contrived or something. And you're yeah, like, absolutely. History can be weird sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just things happen that don't make sense sometimes in history that you can't necessarily get away with in a book. Yeah. It's, it's a great struggle, right? It's like, right. you're like, trust yeah. me, this could happen, but my readers won't buy it as believable. So I'm going to need to I come mean, up with some justification for it. Like, I don't know, this example pops in my head. So I don't remember what the guy's name, I'm really sorry, but he was the guy leading the FBI's hunt of the, uh 9-11 terrorists mm-hmm. like they were like the ones who caught when these guys were doing the training flights and he so they didn't know like what they were doing but they were kind of on their trail and um he messed up and lost uh some sensitive files at a conference he left his briefcase behind and then when he ran back to get it it was missing they don't know whatever happened to it it had a bunch of classified information in it odds are a maid got it and it mm-hmm. got thrown away but who knows but he got fired for it. He got hired as chief of security at the World Trade Center. <laughs> and his first day on the job was 9-11. And he died saving people in that tower. Like there's like yeah. 20 people who directly credit this guy as like getting them out of stuck elevators and stuff. And like, that's that's insane. <laughs> like Life is that weird you, like that, man. Like, that's weird. <laughs> Yeah, weird things like that happen, and it's, yeah, you know, there's, there's no other way to talk about it. It's like, you know, whether it's fate or just we're picking up on some weird patterns, like, stuff happens, and then yeah. what can you do but tell a story, right? Right, yeah. 
Well, uh, so you got book one out. Are you working on book two? I am working on book two, yeah. Um, I'm discovering yeah, that sequels are a rough, <laughs> rough gig. Book uh, twos are harder to write than book ones, I usually find. Yeah, I'm really learning that, I, which is funny because I think for some reason in my head, I thought it'd be the other way. I was like, I've already laid the groundwork. It'll be easy. But no, it's it's a whole other ball game. Book twos are weird. Like once you get past book two, it's easy. But okay. for some reason, that second book, um, it's weird. I don't even really know how to describe it. It's just sort of difficult. Yeah, I've tried putting it into words exactly why it's more difficult, and I always end up fumbling around. It's like, well, you know, I'm trying to do the same thing, but different. I'm trying to, you know, build out words, but not change it too much. And yeah, I don't know if you're doing like a trilogy, but like the second book of a trilogy is always really hard because you got to. Yeah, it it's going to be a trilogy. Just, it can very easily just feel like nothing happened in it, and it's just all set up for book three, right? Like, usually book yeah. one strong. Like, let's take the Matrix movies. Got a mm-hmm. really strong Matrix movie. Then you have Matrix Reloaded, and it's just kind of set up, really, for the third movie, which mm-hmm. is then just all spectacle. But it's like you you got the setup and then the payoff in separate movies. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's the, exactly that's how I'm feeling. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of have to try to make it its own thing while still, like, building towards... You know, your third book because like you know if you're doing a three-act structure this you know book two has to have like your second act low point right mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's got a lot of it's a lot of interesting so good luck on that yeah um, thank you yeah and if you want to let um listeners know where they can uh connect with you on the internet oh yeah absolutely so best place to find me is at nathantutor.com where you can sign up for my newsletter and you get the prequel to Empire's Lion for free just for signing up. Uh, it's uh, the story of how Reva got enslaved and trained to be an adept. So if you like training arcs, then, you know, right up your alley. Um, other than that, I'm on Twitter at Nath Tutor Books. Uh, I've got a Facebook uh, Amazon author page, which I'm sure the links to that will be uh yeah in the liner notes and everything it's, it's all on the liner notes yeah yeah awesome well it was really great talking with you nathan yeah this was a good time thank you for having me all right yeah you have yourself a good one you as well this has been authors in focus you can find my fantasy novels on amazon follow news of my writing at my blog, jmd-read.com, and follow me on Twitter, at jmdread. You can also join my reader group on Facebook, Fantastical Worlds of the Imagination. You can find more episodes of the podcast at fantasy-focus.com and wherever your favorite podcast is hosted.